Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. first lesson this morning is Joshua verses 1 and 2 and then 14 through 18. Listen now as the word of the Lord comes to us. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your ancestors, Tehran and his sons, Abram and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham, no, then I took your father Abraham. Now therefore reveal the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your ancestors. Put away the gods that serve, that you served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites who's in land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Last few weeks, we've been walking with Paul through his letter to the church in Ephesus, and we are continuing today in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, somewhat familiar uh, words uh, that we know as the armor of God. Listen again with fresh ears and see with fresh eyes. Listen for the word of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes on your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere 
in supplication for the saints, pray also for me, Paul, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, I think we can handle this. I think we can do it. So I share the story with you about Edgar Allan Poe, author, poet, quote, the raven no more. In his younger days, he was granted admission into West Point Academy. Well, he didn't really fit with all of the rules and regulations and military lifestyle. And so he went about trying to get himself kicked out. As the story goes, the cadets, his class, were to meet and parade in front of the generals this particular day. So he checked his uh, operation manual and saw, checked the dress code. It was white gloves and a white belt. So he put those things on and proceeded to join his rank with his cadets. The only thing is that that's all Edgar Allen. Edgar Allan Poe put on only his white gloves and only his white belt, standing there naked in front of the generals. He got his wish, and he was summarily kicked out of West Point. This is a case of someone being improperly clothed. This passage today is about all of us being dressed in God and clothed in the gifts that we have been given. So before we sink into the armor of God, let's take a step back again on Ephesians as we've been the last few weeks. Remember, this is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We think he was in Rome in prison while he was writing this, which makes sense. Talking about all these different parts of a Roman soldier, he was probably sitting in his cell looking at his guards and captives and putting these two worlds together. The church in Ephesus was dealing with Jews versus Gentiles and trying to bring all of these people with their different backgrounds, their different beliefs, their different experiences, all together in one church. Paul came and established in the first missionary journey. This church came back and stayed three years later to help solidify it and keep it or put it back on track. As I said last year, uh, last week, just seems like a year since last week, we all know how difficult it is for all of us who can seem to be of similar cloth, similar experience in life, and yet you put all of us in a room and ask us a question about theology and politics, it would be very different. Imagine these Jews and Gentiles with so varied uh, an experience in life and such varied background to then bring them together and say, okay, now you're a church family, love Jesus, go. Which is why Paul has to come back because they're having some trouble. So Paul's working on unity, unity for this church. And we have spent several weeks walking with Paul to this point. So as we get into the last chapter, chapter six of Ephesians, 
it starts off talking about this spiritual conflict, this kind of spiritual warfare. And for us Presbyterians, I think that makes us a little uncomfortable. But I think that it makes sense to me that we are in a spiritual realm. If God's kingdom is a spiritual one, spiritual one as well as a physical one, then it would make sense that there is some darkness that we need to face. There is some evil out there that we need to face. And we know it from our own experience, whether that's spiritual or tangible that we see. We know it can be dark in these times. One of the greatest things that I believe we can do spiritually is to pray. And that's how Paul ends this passage. Talking about prayer and supplication as one main way that we battle this. Prayer for us can be challenging, I know. We often kind of give up and we stay within our own prayer comfort zones. And that's a beginning and that's a start, but we are called to never be complacent, to continue to try to reach out to God. At the end of the day, prayer is about asking for things in our lives and our world, but it is in a bigger way being in God's presence. In a way, you are praying right now as you have come together to be in God's presence intentionally this morning. And our prayer is not for God when we rub the magic lamp and ask our three wishes, and yet God knows and loves our heart and wants us to be open and honest. And the more that we pray and spend time with God and through Scripture, the closer and more solid we will feel in our journey with Christ. So prayer, one of those big ways that we battle this tension of evil and darkness in the world. So specifically, Paul talks about the armor of God. So we get into this section. So real quickly, we start with the belt of truth. We move to the breastplate of righteousness, that is right living, that is seeking to live God's will. The third one is kind of interesting, shoes that allow us to preach the peace to, to proclaim the peace of Christ. It doesn't say proclaim even that Christ has been raised. It's proclaim the peace of Christ. Well, wait a minute. What, what peace of Christ is there? It's, you look in the world, it's unpeaceful every day. As a matter of fact, since Jesus was born, he said he was the Prince of Peace. Read that in Isaiah when we get ready to get to Advent and Christmas. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Nothing changed after Christ was born, or did it? What I believe Paul telling us is, again, coupling this with prayer, is that the peace of Christ is that which is inside of us and fills our foundation, our belief. That inner peace that lets us deal with the world as we experience it, the turmoil we encounter, that peace of Christ is what we all seek. 
Doesn't mean there won't be tension in the world. Doesn't mean there won't be wars and darkness and violence and horror. It means that Christ is with us in the midst of those events. What a gift. Shoes. So then we move to the shield of faith. We move to the helmet of salvation. And sometimes as modern Presbyterians seeking to help others and be involved with justice in the world, we can forget the salvation piece and we cannot. That is at the core of our faith. Christ is our savior. What did he save us from? Saved us from sin and death that we talked about already in the confession time. Already knocked it out for you and for me, for everybody forever. What a gift that helmet of salvation is. So there's one more piece, but let's look at these. If we look at these in this kind of military example that Paul uses, we see that all of these things listed so far, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the, the, the shield, and the helmet are all defensive in nature. Meaning those gifts are to protect us 100% as we go out as Christians in the world to engage in places where we both celebrate the journey and we struggle in the journey. It's as if Paul is saying, we're giving you all this, God is giving you all this because we know that there's a struggle. And we know that as well. When we step out of these walls and we head into the world, very easy to shut it off there, enter and forget that we are Christians. Kind of concede to the culture, live as a cultural Christian during the week, come back Sunday, kind of recharge, refresh, and head back out. If those are the kind of Christians we are, then we don't need the clothes that Paul is talking about. We can dress as the world and culture tells us, and we will be fine. However, if we see the joy, if we see the struggle, if we see the meaning and the power and the passion in who and what we are being called to be through Christ, then we want to go out there to live as we have been called to tell others in a way that is acceptable, non-threatening, and open about our experience with Christ, with God, the Holy Spirit, however you frame that. And it's hard, I know. We get a bad rap as Christians. We're in a pluralistic society. Go into a room and say, Jesus Christ, and see what happens. Some may look at you in disdain. Some may roll their eyes. Some may say, yeah, let's talk about that. Some just may be angry. Some may look at you as a fool. It's hard to know that response. One year for a Lenten discipline, I wore a collar every day of the six weeks in Lent. I wear a collar every once in a while, but not normally. It designates that I'm clergy of some sort, and they... There's no uh, regulatory office that says who, and can, who can and cannot wear uh, a collar, a tab. But I was 
always surprised at the reactions I would get. I didn't have to say a word, didn't have to enter into conversation. People knew who I was, at least that I represented God in some capacity just by looking. And some, you could see right away, were angry. Perhaps they had been burned at a former church or an encounter. Some were even fearful. Oh, I don't want anything to do with no holy man. Some, again, would roll their eyes as if to say, oh, you foolish man. And some would ask questions, which was always great as well. Several cashiers in several different places. Let me ask you, so you're a preacher? You deacon? You, yeah, yeah. And then ask me questions. Kind of like on the plane where you're trapped and that person next to you starts talking to you and you don't know if you should tell them the truth or not. Because it may involve more conversation if you don't want it. And even if you do, you're afraid of the conversation that might come. All fascinating. But we are to be Christians in the world no matter what the response is. And that's the hard part. But it's not about us beating anyone to death with our faith. It's not about us condemning anyone to hell. That is not our job. That is God's and thank God that it is. Our job is to share our faith. Our job is to share the gospel as we know it and have experienced it and have lived it. Not just because we're on some kind of quota system for getting people on our side, you know, enough notches in our salvation belt that God will let us in. It is because we want people to know that they are loved by a loving God. We want people to know what Christ did, is, and will continue to do for them. And there is so much joy that we are missing and the world is missing because we get bogged down in so much of this mess. So we're called to go out. And what does God do for us? Are you alone out there on a branch somewhere in the world trying to be a faithful person? No. That's what this is about. God gives you all of these gifts, truth, righteousness, proclamation of Christ's peace, faith, salvation. Those are your defenses so that when you go and where you go, you have those as a gift to help you. Those are part of your foundation on which we stand firm. So the one offensive part of this description in Paul is the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God. But it is not to be used as a piercing instrument of death torture, but rather, since everything else is almost passive, everything else sits on you in those garments, but the word of God is active. It's what we are meant to take and to use to bring others to Christ and to share that love. So all this imagery works together to say that you are not alone, that you are called to stand firm. And that's what this is about today. Paul uses stand firm at least four times. Stand, stand firm, withstand. Well, how do we do that? Because we've been given all of these things already. And when we claim them and go into the world and believe 
that God is with us and God's spirit is with us, then we can engage others in a way that is helpful and open, not condemning, not aggressive, not angry. That phrase, to stand firm, Archie Smith is a commentator, and he helpfully pointed out the difference between standing firm and stubborn. Standing firm and stubborn. There's a story about 1937. Frank Lloyd Wright, architect, built a house for an industrialist named Hibbert Johnson. So Hibbert is at his house. Frank Lloyd Wright built. He's having a formal dinner. Everybody's at the table, it rains, and it starts dripping on Hibbert Johnson's bald head. He gets so angry, he picks up the phone, and yes, there was phone then, because I checked. And he called Frank Lord Wright, and he said, Frank, I'm, you, you built my house, and it's beautiful, and I love it. However, I've mentioned to you before, there's a hole in the roof, I've got people over for dinner, it is raining and it is dropping, it is raining on my head. And Frank Lloyd Wright says, Hib, why don't you move your chair? Move your chair. And that's the call as we go into the world protected and given these gifts, we get sucked into this cultural stubbornness. Oh my gosh, has it gotten awful. Stubbornness versus stand firm. Stubbornness, and sometimes we laugh at people who we can playfully write off as stubborn. That's not what this is. This is a deeper sense of how we operate, live, communicate. This kind of stubbornness is on the sinful level. Why? Because when we are truly stubborn, no matter what the issue, we shut down communication of any kind. We isolate ourselves we cannot grow, we cannot have conversation when we are angry and right about all that we are angry and right about. It is not informed, it is not seeking any kind of interplay with others, it is isolating, and again, it does not grow. Versus standing firm. Standing firm means we know clearly what we believe. We're standing on our foundation of Jesus Christ. These gifts that we've been given in our armor. And from there, we can debate. We can have open conversation. We can say, this is why I believe what I believe. Let me hear what you believe. And it doesn't mean we give up our beliefs or our foundation. But if we can do that on a more regular basis, we will walk away darn near every time having grown through this kind of conversation and dialogue with someone else. A lift up today, Senator John McCain. Died yesterday around four. Amazing journey. His time spent five and a half years as a prisoner of war in Hanoi. Naval aviator shot down, parachuted, and on the way as he ejected out of that plane, 
broke the pressure when he ejected, broke both of his arms and his leg before he even hit the ground. For the next five and a half years, including an offer by his captives to let him go because his father was a significant military leader. He said, if my fellow POWs can't go, I won't go. He said, what got him through that five years and a half, and by the way, that is 2,008 days, 2,008 days that he spent deprived, beaten regularly, in a 10 by 10 cell with no windows, a heavy door, and a tin roof that was sweltering in that place. What made him stay? What got him through it? In his own words, he said three things. He said, my faith in God, my faith in my fellow prisoners, and my faith in this country, the United States. Those three things, God, others, and the country. That was standing firm. And then shifting to the political life, you know, we know John McCain, whether you are left or right, McCain has both supported your position and been against your position. Although he was a Republican, he often would side on policies and other politicians that leaned left. Sometimes he went against or for his own party. He spoke both for policies and against policies of both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. But he stayed true to who he was. He said in his 2008 run for president, when he was saying things that were angering his base, he said, I'd rather lose the campaign than a war. I'd rather lose the campaign than a war. What allows someone to stand firm in that way? They are confident in who they are. They know what their beliefs are. And they stand up and stand firm. So today, as we are being called out into the world, know that those gifts have been given to you. This full armor of God, we do need to symbolically put on this armor because it is tough out there, but it is also a joy. And with those defensive armor also, we've been given the gift of the word of God to share with others. My goodness, what better job is there? Yes, you will be put down some. Some will not like you. Some will abuse. Some will be angry. But then some, you have the capacity to change their lives when we share what we know. And don't think for a second that God's not with you and hasn't been with you all of your life. Sometimes we just have a hard time identifying that. But the other gift that we've been given is one another. Paul was big on community, and we are not meant to go out into the world alone. Those shields, those Roman shields had notches in them so you could link it to the person next to you and make a stronger and bigger wall. We are called to link arms in the love and light of Christ and to move forward, sometimes individually, but always as a part of this faith community. What a joy it is 
to be in this place, to get the call that we have, and to be given the gifts that we have. And so let us go from here steeped in prayer that we may stand firm on the foundation of love and grace and employ these gifts of truth, righteousness, proclamation, faith, salvation, and the word of God. That's a lot to take in, but it's all a gift from God to us. Then let us link our shields, let us hold our arms and go out together that others may know this joy and this love. Hallelujah. Amen.